This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance Plus, save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hey, this is Lou Mangello from WDW Radio. And when I'm not at Walt Disney World or sharing my passion for Disney World or eating, I am stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and let me be the first to welcome you to summer. What's important to know? Today, we'll focus on the biggest thing of all, how not to become a zombie, Here to help, we welcome the author of the new book, Redefining Family Wealth, certified financial planner, Debbie Meyer. Plus, from LenPenzo.com, it's Christina Applegate. Ah, she's dead to me. Whoa, whoa, that's the name of her new show? That's an amazing coincidence. Wow. Anyway, it's just Len Penzo. And from this podcast, OG. Plus, we'll help a listener magnify their money issue and... Leave time for my incredible trivia. And now, because summer weekends are custom-made for financial money talk, here he is, Joe Salcihai. It is, isn't it? Isn't that the way you celebrate the start of a weekend? By getting your friends together, talking about term versus whole life insurance, 15-year versus 30-year mortgage? I mean, what's more fun than sitting around a campfire than all that? Well, maybe today's show is going to be slightly better than that. Hey, everybody, I am Joe Saul C. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And across the card table from me, well, that's an empty seat today because everybody's out on the short way. So I guess we're going to start out in Las Vegas where my good friend Paula Pant is anxiously awaiting another episode. Absolutely. It is more than 100 degrees here in Las Vegas, so sweltering hot. This is indoor season uh, in this uh, part of the country, so uh, so I'm just 
sitting indoors, binge listening to Stacking Benjamins. No, I'm not actually doing that. I have a life. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, uh, I'm sitting right here, Paula. I'm sitting right here. <laughs> Yo, you can hear me. Uh-oh. I know. Surprising. Well, and the guy who can also hear you, even though he's six feet underground, <laughs> underneath Los Angeles, it's our good friend, Len Penzo. Joe, you know what I love about Vegas? You know what I love about Vegas, Paula? What's that? It's You don't need a campfire to make s'mores in the summertime there. You just kind of just set them on the street, the pavement, and yeah. it all melts all nice, gets all gooey. No campfire required. Exactly. Yeah. Just just put it uh, just put the s'more on the asphalt and watch it cook. Mm. You know, they make little shoes for dogs because otherwise the asphalt would burn the pads of their paws. Oh, it's a great idea. Well, I was going to say not only making s'mores, I mean, also the, the roadkill there comes pre-cooked, right? <laughs> I guess that cooks, too. Yeah, I guess that does kind of cook on there. Yeah, it's already cooked for you. Good idea, Joe. Isn't that fantastic? I love it. Oh, have you ever heated food while camping by just putting it in, in the dashboard of your car window, just leaving it there for a few hours, and then then you've got like a warm burrito? <laughs> the answer for me is inadvertently, yes. <laughs> and the woman who's wondering exactly what she's doing here, she has a brand new book out called Redefining Family Wealth. It is our good friend and certified financial planner. Deb Meyer is here. Hey, Deb, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, Joe? Well, I'm so glad you're here because congratulations on the new book. Thank you. I really appreciate it. You're redefining family wealth. Tell me what that means. Yeah, the book basically draws on my experience, not only as a CPA and financial planner, but also as a mom. I'm really helping people look beyond just building their financial wealth and trying to think about how they can use their unique gifts to help others in a meaningful way. I mentioned earlier that you're a certified financial planner, but... I didn't mention the CPA part, but it's funny that, and you can fact check me if I'm wrong, but you decided to become an accountant because your mom was an accountant and you thought it might be fun. <laughs> you got me, Joe. <laughs> what kind of a sick family are you from? I know that's the sad part. So I'm sure, you know, talking about summer, we might hit on some summer uh, jobs and things like that, but yeah, I actually enjoyed working in an office more than I did like waitressing or things like that growing up. So it's uh, it's in the blood, definitely. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you're here with us. And you know, a way people can get to know us better besides listening to today's show is to follow us on The Stacker. The Stacker's our email newsletter comes out about once a week. We're going to be traveling the country, OG and I, later on this summer and this year. So if you want to find out about that see where in the world we're coming to, or get money lessons delivered directly to your mailbox. All you have to do is sign up at stackybenjamins.com forward slash stacker. We never sell your email address and you can unsubscribe whenever you want to. It also is absolutely free. Well, also free is today's show, but it's a fantastic show today. We got Deb Meyer with us on the call. We've got Len, Paula. We're going to talk about some zombies like a bad summer B-movie. So let's get this party started, all right? Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins Headlines. And our headline today comes to us from the What's Next blog written by Peter Axtell. The one question you needed to ask yourself to avoid becoming a zombie. And I know you deep there under Los Angeles, Len, that's exactly what you're worried about. I'm not because I'm in the safety of my bunker. <laughs> that's why I have it, Joe. Yeah, I don't worry. Zombies aren't my my problem. You, you, you folks uh, you folks are the ones that have to worry about this. Well, we probably will. We'll be fighting each other. But, but, I, 
but it's trying to stay alive. I chose this piece in honor of Debbie being here because she talked about redefining family wealth. And that may sometimes help you redefine your life and redefine what you're doing. I want to read the beginning of this. I think it'll kick off our conversation. Peter writes, answering this one question will help you avoid wasting precious years of your life that you will never get back. If you feel stuck in your job or your career and you want to make a change, this post is for you. This one question might help you clarify what's important and what you're willing to risk for the chance to live a life worth living. And from there, he talks about his life as a zombie many years ago. He says, I forced myself to get out of bed and go to a job that I hated. I spent most days bothering people on the phone for two hours watching the clock and waiting for the torture to end. I spent the rest of the day counting the hours going by and waiting for the time to be able to go home. Sound familiar? If so, you're among the 92% of people in the UK and about 70% of people in the US who are disengaged at work. The walking dead, I'd say. We're disconnected, disinterested, dispirited at the place where we spend the majority of our life. Len, you work for, quote, the man. Do you see people that seem to be checked out at work during the day? Um. If I do, it's the old guys on the verge of retirement. Maybe it's just because what I work in, it's a pretty fun job. So it's a lot of you know new things, exciting things. I will say in the uh, more of the human resources stuff, yes, I will see that. But the engineering side, no, not really. I don't think most people, the engineers, will go through all that torture if they don't like what they do. But I totally understand where this is coming from. So, I mean, I know there's lots of people out there who feel that way. Well, I want to read this. This is uh, very, frankly, pretty depressing. I used to dream about how I might escape the nightmare that had become my life. I didn't realize how, over time, my motivation and life energy were draining out of me. I remember the first day I had to bother people on the phone. When my penance was up, I went to one of the office veterans and shared my despair about how much I hated the work. I remember his words to this day. He said, what else are you going to do? You've got no choice, so keep pounding and it'll get better. It's never been my nature to be a pounder and it never did get better. I might not be a pounder, but I'm tenacious and not inclined to give up. Tenaciousness is an excellent quality if you're on the right track. Sadly, I was on the wrong road. Deb, do you see this when you're helping people in your practice, people that are pounding and pounding and, and getting nowhere? Yeah, I definitely see it. I have a lot of clients that are kind of in that transition period where they you know, might have been in a job for 15 or 20 years, put in their time, and now they're really looking at that next step because it's one thing to earn a paycheck, but it is a totally different thing to really look at what that fulfilling work is for you that you might want to do well into your 70s if you really find the right calling and, and purpose in, in that work. So it's definitely common. I, I see it a lot. My own husband even uh, had that feeling of discontent for a while, and he actually made a, a pretty significant change last year in his profession. So if you talk about running in the family, uh, he was also a CPA or is still a CPA, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we met in public accounting in those fun days. Now he recruits for accounting and finance professionals, but he's on the phone all the time and just you know, has a lot of meetings with people very different than his desk job he had for years on end before that. Two accountants married to each other. Oh boy. <laughs> Where was your first date? Somewhere exciting, like a mathnasium? <laughs> uh, no, it was at Max and Irma's, which is a little <laughs> restaurant nearby. <laughs> 
but you would think, yes, <laughs> Mathnasium. And I bet you guys took 10 minutes trying, pouring over the check, making sure every number was correct. <laughs> so ironically, I was always like the true accountant. He was just faking it. <laughs> he could care less about the. <laughs> he still checks in with me sometimes on uh, what's the right tip to leave. <laughs> That's great when people start talking about like degrees of who's the real accountant. Like you're not real enough for it. That's great. Paula, on to you. You know how some people feel this way. They have great benefits. They call them golden handcuffs, right? Great benefits at work. They might have a pension plan that encourages them to stay. It's pretty hard to get those benefits. And it's pretty hard for somebody to work around that and say, you know, I'm going to leave this. What I often encourage people to do is to calculate the monetary value of their benefits, because it's one thing to say, yeah, but my work gives me a 3% 401k match and health insurance. And I'm like, all right, let's actually calculate what the value of that is. What is that 3% in dollars and cents per year? And as far as that health insurance premium goes, how much would it cost you per month to buy equivalent insurance through the open market, through an individual insurance plan. And once you put an actual dollar figure on that amount, people often find that it's not as insurmountable as they thought. You know, once you you quantify the amount and then and then the issue simply becomes, I have to match my salary plus this equivalent amount of benefits. Well, okay, then that's the number to beat. But if you really hate your job, do you have to beat that number? Oh, no, no, you don't have to beat it. It's just that a lot of people lock themselves into the idea of there's no way that I could take a pay cut and I don't want to lose my benefits. So therefore, I'm stuck. That notion of the golden handcuffs. And if that is the framework that a person is considering, I mean, I would encourage them to try to cut their cut their expenses and cut their standard of living. But if they feel as though they can or if they've already done that and they've cut back as far as they can reasonably go. All right. Then the next step is figure out, like put a quantity on that number, put a quantity on those benefits, because as long as you think that those benefits are just something that exist out there in the ether and they're invaluable and priceless, then you'll never leave your job. But when you figure out in dollars and cents what those benefits are worth, then you know how to leave your job. Len, did you do any of those calculations on your benefits? Yes, I did. And you know what? That's what makes it. That's what's holding me back. I mean, I'm on the verge of retirement, but I'm holding on and it is hard. It's kind of it's kind of hard. And and the benefits aren't just health benefits, too. I mean, there's other things, too, Paul, you got to think about like vacation. And especially when you're an old guy like me and has been at the company for a long time, and you got five weeks vacation, you multiply your salary times that. I mean, that it's that you get life insurance. You have you get discounts for you know, all the amusement parks and stuff. I mean, that's in the noise, but I mean, there are a lot of bennies that could totally discourage you from jumping and, you know, taking a chance. So I'm going to try not to look at that stuff anymore because, uh, it's too depressing. (laughs) (laughs) It is too depressing. I mean, it's scary. Paul makes a good point in that people do underestimate the non-salary benefits that they get from their companies. So, and that could make things more difficult. For leaving. Deb, the title of your book is Redefining Family Wealth. Is this kind of the poster child for this? Is this a time when we should be redefining what's important to us? Yeah, I, I think Paula and 
you've brought about some really important points, but I do think people need to look beyond just the dollars and cents sometimes. If you're going to spend your life working, you know, if you're young in your career, if you're in your 20s or 30s and you have several more working years ahead of you, I see the benefit of doing like the financial independence, retire early and just slugging away. But for a lot of other people, massively changing your lifestyle so that you can retire at age 40 or 50 is pretty unrealistic for many to have that self-discipline. So for all the rest of us that are like, hey, I, I expect to work in my 60s, I think it's really beneficial for them to look at what that career is that they really want to be doing long-term and make those steps to really define, okay, is it one year out, two years out, three years out, whatever it is, set those targeted dates and figure out when you're going to make those changes. And even it might even be starting a side hustle to begin with, just to, you know, rather than making one big leap, just figuring out what are some things I can put into place now that are going to help me down the road as I make this transition. Well, it's funny you say that because our mutual friend, uh, PT, we call him Philip Taylor, who founded a conference that we all go to called FinCon. PT did this in his personal life. He actually was an accountant and different than Debbie, he, he didn't love it. And so he did it part-time, uh, kind of Paula, to bootstrap it, to make sure it would fly before he went full-time. Yeah, exactly. I think there's a lot to be said for starting some type of a side hustle. Do that during the evenings and weekends and then build that until it reaches a point at which you can quit your full-time job. Uh, I was just talking to a friend yesterday, actually, who is in a job that she's not that enthusiastic about. She wants to do something else on the side. And because her day job involves sitting at a computer all day, she was floating the idea of doing something that was more active and social. Like she was thinking about maybe joining a catering company because here in Las Vegas, there are a lot of catering companies and they're always looking for, uh, many of them are always looking for for new workers. So she said, you know, maybe I'll just take a, a part-time job with them on the weekends. And I was like, well, that's awesome if that's what you want to do and if you think that you would enjoy that kind of socializing and interacting and moving around. But if you want to go full time with this, why not try to build something that's scalable, build something that you can ultimately grow? You know, so what I told her was you need to make a choice. Do you want to get a part time job that you think would be fun and social and interactive so that you can make some extra pocket money? If so, that's great. Or do you want to build something that's scalable so that ultimately that scalable company that you build can be the key that allows you to quit your full-time day job? Those are two distinct goals, and uh, the approach is going to be different depending on what the ultimate goal is. Did you think about that with your blog, Len, about using it as a revenue stream after you stop working? No, but that's my plan now. That's exactly my plan, Joe. And, uh, you know, the scalability is a good thing. And another th I love the idea of using it as a training wheels. Keep your real job and have your, your uh, side hustle and see if you can expand upon that over time. So your real job's acting as the training wheels until you can make a go of it. Another thing that's good when you have that extra time is the networking. It gives you time to network and expand your contacts and, and with people who can help expand your your side hustle. I think that's totally the way to go. I think that's totally smart. It's a safe way to do it instead of jumping all in at one time. I mean, because that is scary. That's really scary. So that's really worth looking into. We talked about the make more money, the income side of the balance sheet. Let's talk about the other side, containing expenses. Debbie, what are some of the expenses that we should be focused in on and keep in line? 
Well, I think, you know, obviously if you have an entrepreneurial venture, that's going to take away pretty much all the benefits you've enjoyed as a traditional employee. So you have to really be cognizant of that and look at your family situation, see if, okay, you have a spouse that perhaps can get benefits through their work, even if right now you're not relying on them for that role. The other big piece is just figuring out, okay, if there is an initial pay cut involved, whether it's going back to school or just the position itself is going to be a little bit more uh, different pay structure. So in my husband's example, he went from a very generous salary down to a commission-based role. So he had a, a nice draw, but anything above and beyond that draw, he gets that additional earnings. And it, it was going to take at least a six-month ramp-up period to get anywhere close to the level he had been making before. So we just made a plan internally to figure out how are we going to take my earnings and apply all of that towards our current living expenses and then have his earnings just really be an extra buffer zone for for this job change. So it was definitely strategic and, and thought out. And I would encourage anyone thinking about making that leap to reflect on a plan more than just the next six months, but figure out what, what are the next three years going to look like. Well, I think about two things, Deb, while you're talking. I think about your emergency fund and your debt load. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you have a lot of outstanding high interest credit card debt, you need to be getting rid of that. Uh, even massive student loan debt. I think in this article, it's talking a little bit more about $300,000 student loan debt of a lawyer. And <laughs> I wouldn't encourage that lawyer to <laughs> jump ship until they have made a, a significant pay down in that debt. So there's definitely some considerations there on debt and then having that solid emergency fund. There's a lot of schools of thought on how much to have anywhere from three to six months is usually the recommended amount. But for self-employed people, they you know typically recommend anywhere from six to 12 months. I like to position it more as having that emergency fund for true emergencies and then looking at more of an opportunity fund to pursue some of these other ventures that you've been thinking about, whether it's entrepreneurship or more extensive travel, new profession that you have to go back to college for, whatever that case may be. Yeah, even uh, maybe going to conferences and things to develop your skills. Yeah. Cool. The biggest expenses, Paula, that the average person can cut? I mean, housing, transportation, and food are your three biggest expenses. And so while this may sound dramatic, downsizing your home, whether that means selling or renting out your current home and moving into something smaller and cheaper, I mean, that's the single biggest, most effective way to dramatically cut your expenses in one big swoop, you know? And yes, it's a hassle. Yes, it's a lot of work. Changing up where you live is going to carry a much bigger effect than any amount of ordering a, a water instead of a Diet Coke when you go to Chipotle. It's like multiple orders of magnitude different. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's that one little move that changes everything. And Len already knows that because it turns out that uh, the entrance to his house is just a manhole cover. <laughs> and so he avoids a bunch of expenses. I mean, number one, no property taxes for Len. Nope. They got to find me first. <laughs> that is awesome. Hey, I want to address one last thing before we say goodbye to this topic, which is this. Debbie's talking earlier about the lawyer with $300,000 in student debt. And he said, quote, I never questioned if I actually liked the law. When I first started law school, I didn't like it at all. Something inside me didn't feel right, but I ignored that message. I told myself the money and prestige will motivate me. It never did. I used to dream of being an entrepreneur, but decided it was too risky. Now I wish I'd tried. 
I understand that, but there's also the other side, which you and I have all met people that didn't like a job when they first started doing it, but when they went from the basics, the grunt work of the job to the really the fun parts, that changed everything. And where there was this dead end before, there wasn't one. So, Deb, is there something to be said for just sticking it out? I think there is something to be said for sticking it out in that extreme circumstance. So obviously, if you're a lawyer who has significant debt, doctor, any of these professions where you have to go through extensive graduate school and uh, possibly, you know, doctorate, whatever, PhD, those are all unique professions. You've already spent a lot of time and energy getting ready for that profession. So to abandon it after a couple of years because it just doesn't feel right, I, I don't I think that's a disservice to to you and to the people that you're supposed to be helping. So I would find a way to pay off those debts, feel really comfortable financially before you make any significant change into a lower paying profession if, if that's directionally where you're trying to go. Yeah. Paula, do you think there's any reason to stick it out if you're not feeling it? I think that I would ask yourself specifically, what elements of the job are you not enthusiastic about? Because it might be some aspect of your specific work environment. It might be your boss. It might be your coworkers. It might be the fact that your office doesn't have any windows. It might be that the commute is so long that it's getting you down. And if those are the issues, then those are all solvable problems. They're solvable by staying in the same industry or profession, but transferring to a different employer. It might also be the case that you can stay within your same industry or profession, but do that same type of work in a different way, um, switching from a big company to a small company, uh, switching from being employed to being self-employed, but still within the same field, you know, so I would first explore all of those adjacent avenues before I made a dramatic switch from, say, a lawyer to a circus performer. <laughs> and Len was this close to becoming a circus performer. <laughs> You know, Len, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking to Ashley Goodall on the show, and he was talking about how in big companies, even from team to team, the feelings about your job could change, where culture is largely this myth, right? Your real culture in your company is the people that you have lunch with every day, those people that you're working on projects with. Do you see that where you work, maybe just changing your team could change everything? Absolutely. I mean, the wrong, you get the wrong boss, for example, it could make your life miserable. And if you start off your career with the wrong boss, you'll have the totally wrong thought about your entire career. So yes, people you work with can make a huge difference. You know, people who work in large companies, by the way, also have an added benefit in that there are plenty of areas you can go to. If you're a particular niche that you're working, there are other niches that you can try. You can go into say business. I'm just going to use engineering because that's what I know. You can be a test engineer. You could be a research and development guy. You could go into marketing. You could go into business development. You just need to talk to your boss if you're not happy and see if you can move to a different area. Usually a large company will accommodate you in, in things like that. So Back to your point, Joe, yes, people make all the difference in the world, and just a change of boss or team will make a huge difference sometimes. Or as an engineer, you forgot one, you can also drive the train. <laughs> no? That's a bad one, Joe. Well, on that note, I think that's the end of this. We definitely stuck a fork in it. Uh, Paula, what would you say is your big takeaway from the piece and our discussion today? I would say 
that doing what you love is complicated. And so think through if you're still in school or if you're building your career, think carefully at the onset of it because there's so there's much more than simply your compensation to consider. If you're in the middle of it and you're thinking about making a change, go for it. Go for what's going to make you passionate, but also do avoid grass is always greener syndrome. You know, think about what specific elements are you not enjoying and what specific elements do you enjoy and use that as your like reduce down to first principles and then make decisions from there. I shouldn't have had, I shouldn't had her go first. Len? <laughs> yeah, I think Paula, I think Paula nailed every single thing I can think of. Um, you know, all I can say is I guess, yes, it's good to follow your dreams, but do like Paula said, I think, uh, you know, put some thought into it, plan it out. Don't just jump, uh, you know, put a little thought behind it and some, some pre-planning before you make the leap. And Deb, as the special guest, you've got the last word. Yeah, I again, I'm echoing a lot of what's already been said here, but I, I do think it's important to not find yourself in a miserable profession to begin with. Give some long-term thought when you're, you know, in your early 20s. Is is this really going to be the long-term career I want to be in? And, and knowing that a lot of people do change their mind later in life, they just have to figure out a way to financially make that happen. Well, it's about time we got her back on the show. Usually in this spot, we have a Friday FinTech segment, but from time to time, we'll deviate from that. We're going to do that today. On this episode, we've got Suzanne Lucas, the evil HR lady, back with us. She is the person we turn to whenever we've got problems at work. Her site, evilhrlady.org, is just absolutely hilarious. And uh, we saw something that she wrote recently and OG and I have gotten letters about this quite a bit, about whether Uber drivers are contract workers or are they employees? And here to talk about the difference between the two of those and what it might mean for you, Suzanne Lucas, the evil HR lady coming down to the basement. And walking down the stairs to the basement, it's about time she got back here. And it's mostly my fault, by the way. It's the evil HR lady, Suzanne Lucas. How are you? Well, I'm I'm really sad that I haven't been here for so long. So is mom. She keeps telling me, she's like, what's the deal? Does Suzanne not love us anymore? And I'm like, I've just, mom, mom, I know it's my fault, not hers. I miss your mom too. It's a mutual admiration thing going on. Yes. But absolutely. We have been following the Evil HR Lady blog as usual because not only is it succinct and you're always on point, but it's also, as you know, I, I just love good entertainment and you're always so damn entertaining. It's funny. This, oh, thank you. This this piece though that you wrote back in May was something that I thought we should bring to the the Stacky Benjamins audience. Uber drivers, you write, are not employees what this means for other gig workers. And you say the National Labor Relations Board ruled back in May that Uber drivers are indeed contractors. Tell me what went on there first. Well, you've had a movement to make the Uber drivers and the Lyft drivers and all of those types of gig employee, gig economy people, I don't want to use the word employees, to switch them from contractors to employees. And when you do that, that gives the people a lot more rights and benefits. So if they were employees, then 
for instance, Uber would be paying their half of social security and they'd be providing health insurance and things like that. As contractors, they're responsible for all of that themselves. Yeah. And so you've got Uber, Uber then on one end, I guess, probably fighting. No, no, no. We want them as contractors because we don't want all that expense. And the driver's going, well, you're treating us like employees. Right. And then that's the the question is, were they really treating them like employees? And the National Labor Relations Board came back and said, no, they're not treating them like employees. They are contractors. Let's talk about what that means, because we've had letters into our show before of people saying, hey, I'm a 1099 contractor. And then they say, you you know how this works, Suzanne, they're working for their brother-in-law. Brother-in-law says, no, I'm just going to 1099 you. Nobody really knows the rules. Where's that line between being an employee and being a contractor? There are some set things. And of course, because it's the federal government, the National Labor Relations Board's rules are slightly different than the IRS's rules because heaven forbid we could get it all together. But (laughs) the main things are that contractors use their own equipment. And so for Uber in that case, people use their own cars. They're not driving Uber's cars. So they check there. They set their own schedules. I mean, that doesn't mean you can't say to a contractor, hey, you need to come in for this meeting at this time. But you don't get to say, you know, if you have to do your work from nine to five, Monday through Friday or whatever, if they want to do it at two in the morning, they can do it at two in the morning. They are also free to work for competitors. And this is really critical. And this comes up often when you get the letter about, you know, I'm a 1099 contractor for my brother-in-law. That person is not free to work for someone else. Um, You know, they certainly couldn't go to the competitor. Whereas um, someone can drive for Uber and Lyft at the same time. I've actually been in cars where I'm there as an Uber client and a thing I'll see coming up on their phone, you know, a ride available for Lyft. You know, the people are doing both at the same time. You can do that. This critical point, and this is what pushed it over for Uber, was that they're responsible for their own profit and loss. And so with all of those things, you know, if you have a gas guzzling car, you're going to make less money than if you are driving, you know, your little I don't know, what's a little car? Your little Ford Festiva? Do they make those anymore? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think They're so. They're so cute. But, but well, yes, they, they were. Well, if they did, if you had one, it would give you good gas mileage. <laughs> but you're responsible for your own profit and loss. And that was the key point for the NLRB was that that aspect. You know, we talk a lot about the gig economy then, Suzanne. What does this mean if you're somebody working in the gig economy? Well, it's a good thing if you like the gig economy and it's a bad thing if you don't. For me, I work in the gig economy. I am an independent contractor for many, many, many people, and I like it that way. Um, It makes me free to work for multiple organizations. And if I lose one client, I lose a small percentage of my income rather than I'm getting laid off and now I am completely broke. It gives more flexibility, more opportunity to take on these kind of roles. On the other hand, Because the United States has this stupid health insurance system that ties it to your employment, and even with Obamacare, and I don't want to want to get into this, but even with it, it's tough to be someone independent and have good healthcare coverage, even if you're making good money. And so that really is something that people don't like. They want to be an employee so that they can get healthcare coverage. 
And um, that's something that we could go into a, a lot, but <laughs> probably not today. Well, that's well, well, but still though, things. yeah, but still without getting into it politically, we can get into the, what some people have done. I know, I know some people have joined some of these organizations that are tied to different religious groups. Now those aren't actuarially sound, which means that they can blow up, Right. And so there, right. there's a downside to those. People can also, you know, there's associations for self-employed people where maybe they can at very least get a group discount that can mitigate it somewhat. Right, right. I mean, there are ways around it, but it's certainly more complicated sure. than, yeah. you know, walking into the HR manager's office and she says, okay, pick between these two plans. Right, <laughs> and, right. And there you go. And it's a, it's a difficult system. And that's the main thing, I think, when people are objecting to gig economy workers, um, because uh, there's a lot of people that love the flexibility. I love the flexibility to do what I want, to do what I enjoy. And I can, you know, if I don't like a client, I can tell them to go away. Um, whereas if I'm working, if I'm an employee from somebody for somebody else, that person can tell me what to do, you know, and I can't say, you know what, I don't want to work with this particular client anymore because my boss is saying you have to, and it gets rid of some of that, that freedom. I found that big companies are very good at pricing their products because the people that are pricing them, they know all the different uh, facets and all these expenses that come up. I feel like the average person though, Suzanne, working in the, in the gig economy doesn't get some of these nuances. And because of that, they underprice themselves. I think that, I mean, for me, the lesson here is you got to look at your healthcare ahead of time and bake it in. You've got to look at the expense of the depreciation as an example on your automobile. If you're a driver, that's certainly going to factor in like adding in these expenses so that you're actually charging enough is, is going to be a huge part of being an independent contractor. Yeah, it is. And that's one of those big problems because if you're the guy who worked for fortune 100 company as the chief financial officer and then you retired at 50 and then you want to consult on the side, you got that covered. But if you are the college student that wants to earn a little bit of cash driving for Uber, you're making enough to pay your gas money and to make some profit off of that. But are you thinking about the wear and tear on your car? Uh, Because that is a huge expense, but because it's a hidden expense, are you really factoring it into? And the other thing is the social security. Most people don't realize that the company pays social security for you because you see it coming out of your check, but it's also coming out of theirs. If you're self-employed, you're playing both sides of that. And then of course the health insurance. And so when you put all those things together, if you're not savvy enough and experienced, experience is probably a better word than savvy. Yeah. It's a matter of experience. And, you know, it's it's easy to get taken in by things. I just had uh, the other day, somebody offer me, we'd like to have you do a webinar. And I said, great, I love to do the webinars. We talked about it and he came back and he said, I'll pay you $200 for that. And I was like, no. He's like, no, that's a great amount. It's only an hour worth of work. No, it's not an hour's worth of work. It's 10 hours worth of work, at least, because I have to do all the prep, and I don't work for $20 an hour. So, no. Yeah. <laughs> but when someone says, I'll pay you 200 bucks for this hour webinar, you're like, oh, 
One hour. That's a great deal. Yeah, one, one hour. hour. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where, uh, and I like what you say there, experience versus savvy. You're experienced enough to know that this isn't going to be a one hour commitment. Right. But I have made those mistakes in the past. <laughs> right, right. You know, right. when I've been like, sure, I'll do that. And then I find out that, holy crap, this is hard and this is taking for ever like the time I agreed to write like 50 sample resumes. Holy cow. Boy, did I underbid that job. No wonder she jumped right on it. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, that's well. And that also brings up another point, which is half of it, half of the battle here is getting that experience under your belt as quickly as possible. Right. Like a, uh, a mentor of mine said one time, he's like, do just as many bad jobs as possible. So you get that all out of your system as quickly as possible. <laughs> That's that's probably a good idea. That's a good idea. But it also means, you know, a lot of people entering into the gig economy are younger people that want this flexibility, that value the work-life balance and all of that, which sounds super awesome. But if you don't have the experience, you know, you can say, well, great, I can take off whenever I want to. Sure, you can, but then your clients will drop you or you don't get paid. You know, it's not like you get your two weeks of vacation when you're a contractor. It's, if you're not working, you're not getting paid. And if you're not available to work, there's another contractor out there that might well take it from you. And those are things that people don't think about as well. I mean, it's in addition to all of the tax implications yeah. from it. I love you. I love you saying that because I remember uh, reading here recently that self-employed people like you and I are people who will work 70 hours a week to avoid working 40 hours for somebody else. <laughs> this is so freaking <laughs> true. <laughs> it is, but it also, you know, that's one of the problems that I always say with small businesses is that the small business owner is like, this is my baby. I'm willing to devote everything to it, but why aren't you employees devoting everything to it? Because it's not their baby. Yeah. Y your podcast is your baby. So you're willing to get up in the night with it. Me, I'm not willing to get up in the night for your podcast. Come on. Come on. I mean, maybe I would <laughs> if there were cookies there were the, involved. Well, and that's why we have mom right upstairs. Exactly. This is what makes you guys more quality than other, <laughs> for other people. Yes. Airtime and cookies. Uh, your, cookies. your site is uh, evilhrlady.org. And we also find you on Inc., uh, very often. Tell me what's yes. co what, what's coming up, Suzanne, when people go there. What do you got in the hopper? Well, if they go there now, they'll see um, lots of things about ideas to help companies be more family friendly and things that you shouldn't worry about as a manager, which I think is actually very, very important as compared to things that you do worry about and you should worry about because I think managers worry about far too much so you can check that out and figure out things that you shouldn't worry about. Thanks again for hanging out. Let's do this again soon. Yes, let's, because I have not had en enough musty basement smell yes. that is, or enough cookies. That is exactly the highlight, I'm sure, of your summer. Suzanne, it thanks is. for stopping by. Anytime. Hey there, summer-loving stackers. Oh, I just love summer. Besides the annual time when I wash my hair, summer also means fun in the sun and beaches and 
festivals and drag racing your old car with the lightning bolt down the side of it. Ah, Speaking of festivals, here's some distinctly summer trivia hot dog eating contests. You may know that both the women's and men's hot dog eating contest at Coney Island draw a crowd every year. In fact, last year, 2018, Mickey Sudo won the women's competition by eating 37 hot dogs during the contest. Perennial men's champ Joey Chestnut won the men's competition, of course. Here's today's question. If you take Mickey's 37 dogs and Joey's intake, what were the total number of hot dogs consumed by champions last year? I'll be back with the answer after I take a second to try and stop thinking about how gross this sport really is. I'm kind of with Doug on this one. Len, have you ever watched the hot dog eating championships? It's just disgusting. Yep, it is. And and there is some science behind that hot dog. The, the champion, I saw an interview with him, he actually did some, I'll call it research and development on how he could expand his stomach and get the maximum number of hot dogs in his stomach. Well, they dip it in all that water too, I noticed. Exactly. Well, what he did is the guy, he realized if he, if he soaked the bun in water, he could get almost twice as many hot dogs down. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is gross, I think, actually. Well, it is, but if you want to impress the family, you know, invite them over and choke down a bunch of hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> so for those of you new to this game, we play this Price is Right style. The person closest without going over is going to be the winner. We explain those very complicated rules, Deb, to you backstage. Do you get the complicated rules? I do. Thank you. All right. The score, because we're keeping score here all year long, is this Len has recently taken the lead with seven OG has six. And that's who Deb's going to be playing on behalf of. And Paula Paula's had a big run. Now is ready to make her move. She's at five. So Paula, because the way we play this game, you get to decide if you want to guess first in the middle or last. I will guess last. The cool thing about this one is there's a chance though, Paula, they might get it. This number is small enough and maybe gettable enough that somebody's going to land on it. So that might change things this week. We'll see. But either way, Paula's going to go last, which is completely a shock. Deb, would you like to go in the middle or first? I would like the middle. It might be Deb's first time on this show, but not her first rodeo. So, okay. And Len, that means that you're kicking this off for us, big guy. So between Mickey's 37 hot dogs and Joey Chestnut's total intake, what was the total number of hot dogs consumed last year by the champions collectively? Well, I'm pretty sure I think I know the answer to this. I think. I'm pretty darn close. Um, So take that, Paula, because I know you're going to – I know what you're going to do to me after this. I think – okay, so 37. I think the record – the latest record is 93. So if that's true, there ain't a lot of calculations here, Joe. Uh, 193 and 37 is 130. So that's what I'm going with. 130. Deb? Uh. I do not watch much hot dog eating, so uh, I'm going to be taking some guesses here. <laughs> I'm going to have to go with 114. 114. And so, Paula, you now have your conundrum. Well, functionally, what this <clears throat> means is that my guess would either be 38. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> 115 or 131. Those are really my three options. Uh, so 
I mean, if the female champion ate 37, I would assume that the male champion wouldn't have eaten more than maybe 60 or 70. So I'm going to, I'm going to assume (laughs) that the total added amount is uh, probably somewhere around the 100 range, which means that my guess is going to be, since it's closest without going over, 38. (laughs) 38. There it is. You guys didn't give her a wide enough range between the two of you. I can't do everything. I tried to put the the psychological pricing in there for Paula, thinking that would force her to go like one below me or one above me, but she didn't bite. Well, but still, I don't know, Deb, you moved the bar quite a bit, quite a bit away there to give her, you know, make it difficult. It was all strategy. Yeah, that was... (laughs) We've got a strategy on this, too. We don't tell you what the answer is right away. We're going to make you wait for it. So we'll be right back here in a second with the answer to the summer kickoff hot dog eating question. The following is an actor, not a real person. We tried to find an actual Stacking Benjamins podcast listener, but we're not sure any exist. Yesterday, I turned on one of those other podcasts. Ugh, more money talk? The topic was something called long-term care, and they couldn't even make me care for the short term. That podcast made me feel like just another number. Hi, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, the huge star of the award-winning Stacking Benjamin Show. Are you tired of podcasts that blabber on about money? Are you confused about all this IRA, SEPP, 72T, and fiduciary talk? At Stacking Benjamins, you're not just another number to us. Heck, if you actually listen, you're the only number. That's why we barely ever talk about money. Better yet, we treat you like family. We'll invite you on down to Joe's mom's basement, serve you some pie and maybe even a little lemonade, and best yet, when you leave, we'll complain about you behind your back. Because that's what real family moments are all about. I'm never going back to that old podcast. Stacking Benjamins is a way for me to avoid numbers and feel that warm, fuzzy feeling I get every time I scream at my sister on the phone. Stacking Benjamins, where you're not a number. Your family. Len, 130 hot dogs, and you say you know the number. I'm pretty sure I do. But now, look, last week, I, w- I felt w- terrible. I even said I, 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 I've lost, and I ended up winning. So who knows? And there you go. Deb, 114, how you feeling? I'm feeling good. Nice. Confidence. nice. Well, and it's it's well-deserved because she's got 16 numbers between uh, hers and yours, Len. Paula, 38? Well, I mean, it, it gives me a pretty wide range. So, yeah, I feel, I feel pretty good. If the number is anywhere between 38 to 114, <laughs> I'll be solid. I think the team that plays the best is, is going to win. Uh, <laughs> speaking of that, speaking of games, Doug, what's the answer to this year game? Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and let's get you to that trivia answer, shall we? The question for anyone too busy grilling hot dogs to listen was this. In 2018, Nikki Sudo won the Women's Hot Dog Eating Championship by downing an impressive 37 dogs. If you took the number Joey Chestnut swallowed on the men's side, what's the total number of Nathan's delicious Franks consumed by last year's champs put together? Well, while Mickey's 37 dogs may seem like a lot, Joey Chestnut actually stuffed down an incredible 74 hot dogs last year, meaning that if you guessed, 
Um, you have to carry the one, divide by 11. Anyway, 111 hot dogs consumed by champions. Oh, my God. Well, if you guessed 111, you'd be right. See ya. Yeah. <laughs> strategy wins the game. Total strategy. <laughs> Deb, so close. I think Deb was only a few off, wasn't she? She was three away. Uh, but you're over. Yeah. I don't know. When you take those little risks and <laughs> I don't think that OG is going to ever forgive you. I don't think he will. <laughs> but it, it, it really doesn't matter. And he, he won't care. Paula, how are you feeling? Because speaking of OG, you've now pulled up into a tie with him with six. I know. Now I am no longer last. Now I am tied for last. <laughs> yeah. But that's right. But, you know, if, if you use the Ricky Bobby rules, if you're not first, you're just the first loser. Do you even know that reference? I, I don't know who Ricky Bobby is. <laughs> <laughs> and there is the quote of the show. Don't know who Ricky Bobby is. Hey, let's take out the magnifying glass today, guys, and help somebody do better with their money. Today's hotline call comes to you courtesy of magnifymoney.com. When you head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money, you know what you'll find? You'll find that all those products you use every day down at your bank, they're nowhere near the best in class. Over 92% of the products available online are all ranked at Magnify Money. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money for more. And today we're actually going to skip the voicemail. We're going to reach into the mailbag. We don't actually take mail anymore, but we're working our way through the last letters because we promised we get answers to everyone before we stopped. And I know this is the same for you, Paula. We started getting way behind and there was no way we were going to catch up. Today's letter came from Bryce. And I think this is perfect for our round table. Hello, Joan OG. Glad to be one of two listeners of the show. I'm a college student looking to get started with investing, but my parents tell me I should just keep growing my savings until I get out of school. I don't have much, but I do have a savings account with a little over three grand in it. I'm wondering if I should follow their advice or take the little amount I have now and start investing it before I get out of school. If I were to invest, what are some good ways to start doing that? Hope to hear from you guys. Can't wait for some more insight and information. Let's take these one at a time. Uh, Deb, we'll start with you. Should he follow his parents' advice and leave it in savings, or should he invest that money? I would want to clarify a couple of things. First off, does he have any high-interest debt that needs to get paid off? That would be kind of item number one to think about. If it's truly just saving, sitting in that cash account, and he's a couple of years off from graduation, then I could see looking at investing it. But if he's within six months to a year of graduation and he needs to start building an emergency fund, then that's definitely something to look into. Len, anything to add? Yeah, no, if, if that's the only $3,000 he has, I wouldn't invest it and I'd just keep it as a savings. That's, you know, but, but let me just, just for fun. If this is $3,000 just to blow and you have well, hold on, don't savings. do that yet. I want to do that the second time around the table. I want to just answer this one question first. Oh, okay. We'll cut that out then. So I don't know. We're not going <laughs> to cut that out. I do want to ask that question, but I want to find out about following mom and dad's advice first. Uh, uh, Paula, how about you? It depends on whether or not he is paying for his own expenses. If he is, then this $3,000, I would presume, would represent around three months of his living expenses, maybe even a little bit less. And if that's the case, then he needs this as an emergency fund because step one 
in any person's financial life is to have an emergency fund that represents three months worth of your living expenses. Now, on the other hand, if he is not paying for his own living expenses, if his parents or somebody else are covering those expenses and so he doesn't have to worry about having an emergency fund to cover his basic bills, then this is truly just fun money, in which case he can invest it. Let's go into that second question. Len, you were excited about, hey, what if he's just got 3000 bucks burning a hole in his pocket? I'm sure you were going to say the answer to all his troubles is found in the number three horse in the number six race, right? No. <laughs> I was going to say put it all on red. But seriously, just for fun, why not? And you're just learning, right? What a great way to learn it. Start with something simple. Take the data. This is what I would maybe I'd tell my son if he had 3000 bucks just to kill. Pick uh, three stocks from the Dow, do a little research, uh, maybe put $1,000 on each, or maybe put $2,000 amongst those three, as you see fit, and then take a, find a defensive stock, like uh, maybe something, and actually I think Coca-Cola is still in the Dow, isn't it? I guess actually that would be kind of like a defensive stock, something that doesn't go down in a, in a recession usually, but, but maybe and find a, a defensive stock and, and put it in there. And then you can just go on Schwab and, and do a little or you know Morningstar, wherever you want to go and, and, uh, and, and invest and just follow those three. And it's a good way to kind of learn, get, in, get into the trading, learning how to trade individual stocks. And I think it would be kind of fun. So, and you're not going to lose everything. So, but you might, you might lose, but a little bit, but it's just a little bit. And it's a great way to learn. And I think you start with the Dow because there's 30 stocks in that. And you go ahead, do some, do some research and pick three. Yeah. Get your feet wet and learn about the uh, emotional roller coaster with really in the big scheme of things, what's not a ton of money. Yeah. Deb, best way for kids to start out of college with investing. Well, interestingly, I made a pretty bad mistake when I was in my uh, junior year of high school. We were doing some stock picking for a class exercise, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to take some of my own money and try to invest it. So I took uh, five stocks, but they were all in the tech industry right before 2000. <laughs> so sure enough, <laughs> I learned diversification the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> so I would recommend if you do that individual stock picking, you you pick some uh, stocks in different industries that, uh, like Len said, you're looking at a defensive stock, maybe a growth stock like Apple or wh whatever you want to choose. But definitely do a little bit of research around it. Make sure they're not in the same industry if you're going to do that individual stock selection. But you know, the more boring answer would be get in a very uh, broadly diversified exchange traded fund that's low cost, like a Vanguard 500 index, something like that. But it's, um, that's boring <laughs> in, in some regards, but it, it really depends on what you, what your risk level is too. I mean, if he's just really interested in what that stock picking looks like, then yeah, I could see grabbing a handful of stocks. But in this case, Paula, boring is good, I think. I would argue that it's not boring because the, what's fun about going into like a Vanguard total stock market index fund is that then every day when you when you say like, hey, Alexa, give me my flash briefing and you hear the news and you hear about whether or not the overall economy is going up or down, like the Dow rose today, the Dow fell today, all of a sudden now you've got skin in the game. And so being invested in a total stock market index fund makes the ups and downs of the overall broad market way more interesting because now you're in it too. So I think, uh, you know, I would totally encourage him to go into a, a total stock market index fund. And, and I would think that that was pretty exciting. You're like trade war. You're ruining my three grand. 
yeah. Or maybe get a global fund because then you get some domestic and uh, and international in there, right? Yeah, domestic and international. Those are some choices and some great ideas, Bryce. Thanks a lot for the question. If you've got a question for us, of course, head to the Magnify Money line, staggybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. And Richie, my producer, said that you may be able to get on fairly soon now that we no longer take letters. Because, uh, Paula, as you already know, the, these letters are getting so far backed up to like, Joe, with all the snow on the ground. <laughs> I know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. There's there's such a long queue in terms of answering questions that, you know, we'll open up a question. They'll be like, yeah, I'm, I'm nervous about what's going to happen in the 2017 market. Right. <laughs> well, at least the advice you give would be right. <laughs> <laughs> right. That would be great, wouldn't it? Here's what you should have done. So that's going to do it for today, everyone. Uh, Deb, we're going to have you go last. We'll have end on a high note with our guests. Let's start with our contributors, though. Well, Len, I I almost did that wrong. Len, what's happening at LenPenzo.com? Yeah, before we get to the heavy stuff with Paula, I thought I'd uh, just do my typical stuff over at the uh, PersistentItch.com. I just discuss ways that you just get irritated at the movie theater. Just uh, I came up with nine things just for fun, for discussion's sake, and uh, it's a, actually a pretty good discussion. Just you can think of all the things that really irritate you when you're at a movie theater. The thing that irritates me the most is that you wait in line forever for popcorn, and then you got to fill out that mortgage application to refinance your house to be able to afford it. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't on my list. They didn't make it. But, you know, uh, back in the day, well, Len, you and I are going to tell old guy stories for a minute. But remember, they had those dollar movie theaters. They still have yeah. them in my area. They really? Uh, uh, they don't have them where I live. They'd play like a, a one-year-old movie and you'd go in, you know, if you waited a year and didn't see, yeah, a buck. Yeah, it'd be awesome. Right. So it was but a, the reason that's still 10 bucks. Yes. A dollar for the movie, thirty-seven fifty for popcorn. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Paula, what's happening at Afford Anything? On the Afford Anything podcast, you and I answer a bunch of questions that come from the audience. Jay Money, my former co-host, makes a special cameo appearance at the end of episode 199. He does it to to celebrate our, our going into 200 episodes. Ken Honda, the Zen millionaire, joins us to talk about happy money. And uh, next week, Jamie Masters, the host of the Eventual Millionaire podcast, joins us to talk about what she has learned after interviewing hundreds of millionaires. That's all at Afford Anything. Awesome. Deb, thanks for hanging out with us today. I really appreciate you having me. Thanks, Joe. I was so excited when you and I met at a conference and you said you had a book coming out. And I know, I mean, looking at the book, it's so awesome. But just having your name on the front cover of a book, and I know all the work you're going through, how awesome is it to have your name on the front of a book? It's pretty cool. <laughs> I, I almost cried when I opened the uh, the box of the print proof copy, which is not quite the final copy, but it's it's almost there. So, <laughs> Well, tell everybody what they're going to find when they read Redefining Family Wealth. Yeah, the book is really uh, looking about not just those tangible items to build financial wealth. It has plenty of that, but it's it's asking some of those deeper life questions that a lot of busy parents just don't have the time to think about. So it's just giving some intentional space. Still a pretty short read, but if you sit and reflect on some of those questions early on, uh, you're, you're going to just 
feel differently as you go through the book. And it, it does have a little bit of a Christian bent to it. So there's some Bible verses in there as well for those who are Christians. I think they're going to get a lot of meaning out of it. And looking at the list of where it's available, you, your book's available everywhere. Yeah, it's uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, IndieBound.org, all, all kinds of places. Well, and Len, you can even have people drop it in the bunker. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a, there's a slot there, Deb, just drop it down, drop it down. There. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Thanks, Len. Yeah. And by the way, we'll have a link, uh, not only to Deb's book, but also to her practice and how to get a hold of her for financial planning questions. If you have questions there. All right. That's going to do it for today, guys. Doug, take it from here. What should we have learned today? Well, Joe, first, don't want to be a zombie? And who does? Build the financial foundation to build your dreams. With a decent emergency fund, good cash flow, and a plan, you can do anything. Second, wondering how to start investing? You should get educated, but also jump in. You'll learn more by doing and tweaking as you go. Plus, you'll have some money stashed away as you're picking up tips to invest better. But the big lesson... A basement hot dog eating contest with OG game on like Donkey Kong. Oh, I'm taking him to what? He's not here. Yeah, well, then apparently I'm the winner because, you know, if you're not here, you're just uh, it's an you're ineligible. Hey, I don't make the rules, man. I just know exactly when to challenge someone to a contest. So I'm the champion. I'm the champion of the basement. Champions, my friend. Oh, it's just, I am uh, basking in the glory. Thanks to Debbie Meyer for hanging out with us today. You'll find her book, Redefining Family Wealth, wherever books are sold. And you'll find the links to her financial planning practice on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. Thanks to Suzanne Lucas, the evil HR lady, for stopping by. It was great to catch up with her. It's been so long since we heard her voice. She's awesome. You'll find the evil HR lady at evilhrlady.org. Paula Pant appears courtesy of affordanything.com and the Afford Anything podcast. Len Penzo, the captain of skepticism, appears courtesy of lenpenzo.com. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm wondering if KY Jelly is actually made in Kentucky. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. What do you suppose they call that? A novelty act? I don't know, but it wasn't too bad. Well, that's a novelty.
Welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. You know, sometimes, uh, and actually this is much more regular than you would think that it is. We're going to show you a little clip behind the scenes here. We have a pause because somebody's having audio issues. And uh, today, uh, Deb had, <laughs> had a little issue. And in the past, you know, Paula's frozen. I've frozen. OG's just went away. Len hasn't been able to get his video working. We'll, we'll get all kinds of different things going on. So I want to just give you a little behind the scenes of what we do while we're in a holding pattern. Joe, can I stop you for a minute? Um, I'm sorry. My computer battery is going like draining on, on Skype. So I'm trying to get it up on my phone real quick. I'm so sorry. Hey, do zombies eat popcorn with their fingers? I don't know. No, they eat their fingers separately. Uh. So, Len, this guy goes to see his doctor. He says, Doc, I got this problem. I think I'm a bridge. And the doctor says, well, what's come over you? And the guy says, today, a bus, a semi, and three small cars. <laughs> what did the traffic light say to the car? Don't look. I'm about to change. Oh. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So this guy goes to see his doctor. He says, Doc, I think I have a set of curtains. And the doctor says, pull yourself together, man. Uh, <laughs> why can't Cinderella play soccer? Because she's always running away from the ball. Oh. Hey, what does a zombie get when he's late for dinner? When he's late for dinner? Yeah. The cold shoulder. Why does Ariel, the little mermaid, wear seashells? <laughs> Why? Because she outgrew her bee shells. <laughs> That's so awesome. Hey, what did the zombie's friend say when he introduced him to his girlfriend? What's that? I don't know. Good grief. Where'd you dig her up from? <laughs> 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 I love it. All right, I'm out of zombie jokes. What music frightens balloons? <laughs> Pop music. <laughs> uh, that was a good one. Magic Eight Ball, can these jokes get any dumber? <laughs> All right, so a skeleton walks into a bar and says, bartender, give me a beer and a mop. <laughs> a dyslexic man walks into a bra. <laughs> a baby seal walks into a club. Oh. <laughs> okay, I am finally over, so if you guys want to... Is the sound quality good? <laughs> Is the sound quality good? We're on the Thank next you. episode, Deb. I am so sorry. <laughs> well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend, OG. 
who spent time in the military. Of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. 